0: But I watched the show The Traitors and I thought this is just like comedians and often female comedians at the Edinburgh Festival. (laughs) We're all just talking about each other behind each other's backs, (laughs) pretending we hope that the other people do really, really well, but secretly being upset when they do and feeling it should have happened to us and that (laughs) we should have won the money. I don't do that, I swear. No. I'm Uh, 100% faithful. (laughs) Hey, uh, just give us a cheer if you watch The Traitors, or you know about it. Yeah, it was, a, it was a show where they put all of these people into a house, made them do tasks to win money, and uh, but two of them were told they were traitors, or three of them were told they were traitors, and Claudia Winkleman told them they were traitors, and then they had to secretly they had to secretly while they were earning the money with everyone. That at night, they'd go up to a tower and Cloaks in a castle in Scotland and go, who are we going to kill off in the night? A bit like one of those games. Ice like Lakes,
4: wink, murder. Yeah, it.
0: exactly, exactly. And then they started to feel guiltier and guiltier because they were really genuinely bonding and making friends. They started feeling guilty about being traitors.
4: Fantastic television. Oh,
0: such good television. Yeah. Did you not think this is a lot like the Edinburgh Festival, the way people go, I mean, I liked her show, but I don't think it was a five-star show. I think it was a good, it was a solid show, but it's just weird to me that that would be nominated and I, listen I wish her well I really really do want her to do well I love her but I love but I just didn't think actually sometimes she is a bit tricky as well and I'm, I'm not sure that the message of the show is very feminist and then she comes up into the bar and immediately that same person who's been saying that goes oh hi well done on the nomination oh god I can't believe it's so well deserved we're not even allowed to kill each other no, we can't vote each other out of Edinburgh, that's no. the other thing. I, I actually, I'd I like to say I don't go around doing that, I'm just saying, over the years in Edinburgh, you, you end up in a lot of conversations that where people are... That gave me anxiety, are, did it? Felt, I felt that, I was back I, there. I'm, I'm not saying I do, I'm just, that's made it sound now like I'm a real bitch, and I'm not, I don't do it, but i just... You did know the speech off by heart... <laughs> the kind of thing that sometimes happens you go, you go, you say which of these, what do I pick Um, (laughs) uh, I'm a feminist
4: but ever since I came out as non-binary I do think that I'm slightly less good at making sandwiches (laughs) (laughs)
0: Do you think so? That's the one I'm starting with. You think you've just lost the feminine urge to make a sandwich? <laughs> yeah. Lazier with it, I think. Well, I don't blame you. <laughs> if ever I've had a good argument to go non-binary, is that? <laughs> Please don't write in I know that you don't go non-binary. Um, that was a joke. Do you going to go non-binary? <laughs> I'll play. That was a comedy joke of comedy-ness. for laughings. It wasn't for seriouses. Um, I'm a feminist, but this week I've been enjoying reading one-star reviews of feminist classics on Goodreads. <laughs> Delighted to tell you that both The Handmaid's Tale and The Bell Jar have a lower rating than my book. Not making that up, the bell jar has a four point oh four. I was saying to Sarah backstage, I was saying the thing is the only people who go on Goodreads either go on to say this is an amazing book five stars or this is a terrible book one star, and so that means everything. Virtually every book has a four point something rating. The bell jar four point oh four. Sylvia Plath, sorry. The Handmaid's Tale, Margaret Atwood, four point one three. The Guilty Feminist, Deborah Francis White, four point one eight, baby. Yeah feminist victory. I'm a feminist
4: but uh, I think it's creepy when men play netball.
0: (laughs) Fully not okay. (laughs) Um, It's the
3: bibs. (laughs)
0: Creepy little bibs. Um, I'm a feminist but while i enjoyed reading one stars of my own book on goodreads i um i've not got the courage to read any three star reviews i only read the fives and the ones (laughs) because the ones are funny right the ones are this is boring don't waste your time you're welcome you can dismiss right right the three stars are by critical thinkers who have think actually probably quite it, excellent yeah. points that I should take on board, <laughs> and I'm obviously scared to do that. I'm scared to learn. Let's do it. I'm scared. I just. I will. But it, well, I've got to have a lot of fortitude. I have to be feeling really good when I read those three should star we reviews. out here. <laughs> do it now and I'm not reading my own bad reviews live on on oh, stage. It's I'm like not going to peer pressure you into it's it. It's like a nightmare where you walk to school naked where a nightmare in which Sarah Keyworth forces me to read my own mediocre reviews <laughs> yes. on stage. Nice loud voice, Deborah. <laughs> oh, maybe I've had a nap and I've missed the show and I'm like trying to keep, <laughs> fight myself awake. Go on. Okay,
4: I'm a feminist, but a couple of years ago when my girlfriend and I got stuck driving through a snowstorm and we thought we were going to die, I called every man I know. (laughs) (laughs) What do we do, Daddy? I think I said those words. (laughs) And I was talking to
0: her dad. (laughs) Um... Oh, (laughs) enjoyable. Enjoyable. Did any of the men help? They all had advice, of course they did. I mean, they all had advice, but was any of that advice helpful? Because I find men in those situations always just immediately launch confidently. You can hear them wanting advice.
4: to drive the car, can't
0: you? Yeah. The phone. Yeah, they oh, launch confidently. Here's what I work, do. They don't always know any fucking thing. Yeah, the dads did help, to be fair. Oh, all right. Well, as long as they actually helped. Yeah. I mean, didn't need to call her ex-boyfriend, but... Wow. <laughs> Wow, did you really call her explosive? I'm kidding, I'm okay. kidding. Comedy. <laughs> There's see? something in your eyes that tells me Showing that. off. Um, I'm a feminist but my favorite my ref, my favorite review of The Bell Jar was I only had to read it once. I never read it for or with pleasure. I prefer childbirth. <laughs> I prefer childbirth. It's good, isn't it? It's good. You can yeah. see why I've been distracted from feminism this week.
4: Yeah, and the problem with the bell jar is that you don't sort of forget
0: how awful it is and try and go again. What does uh, you do with... No, that's true, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. With childbirth, apparently that happens. But... Yeah, a bit of euphoria at the end, I hear. Mm, I wonder if there are any reviews of childbirth online. <laughs> Presumably there but are. There are. Live from King's Place in London, the Spartan- Give us a cheer if you listen to the Guilty Feminist. Woo! Give us a cheer if you don't know what you're at. Oh, lots of people. Usually there's only a few people who go, yay. Yeah, yeah. And I always think those cheers sound less feminist. <laughs> but uh, uh, tonight, lots of people. Now, just to be clear, this show is an official sellout, but there are people who would not leave the bar without a drink. <laughs> Normally, I don't know, they just close the bar and say, well, there's no more drinks till the interval, but apparently this crowd were rabid. And they did not dare, they did not dare uh, close the, uh, the bar uh, before uh, everyone had a drink. I don't know what's happening out there, but I feel like whatever is happening, feminism is working. Because there were some angry feminists out there who said, we will miss the beginning of the show before we will... Go alcohol-free. And I don't know what's happened to dry January, but it's not taken hold amongst the guilty feminist community. Just give us a cheer if you're doing dry January. Oh, just... Just some people in the back row. Uh, do it. Give me a cheer if you're doing moist January. Do it. Give me a cheer if you're doing very wet January. I am, I just don't think January needs a lack of alcohol. I feel like, I try July, I can see so many lovely things about July. It's sunny, picnics outside, seeing old friends, people, you know, I can absolutely just have a little bit of a cranberry and sparkling water or something in July. I wouldn't even notice I'm having such a nice time in July. But if ever a month needed a fucking drink, it's January. Isn't it? Yes! Christmas is over. There's nothing more about winter to look forward to, and yet it intends to drag on well into March. (laughs) Why, why, if you live in the Northern Hemisphere, why the fuck would you allow January to be alcohol free if the rest of your year was not that? Now, the people that don't drink all year round, well done you. You presumably have other coping mechanisms that we don't know about. You've developed them, and I admire it. Just give me a cheer if you never drink. Woo! Excellent, excellent. You sound happier, and yet I'm not interested in being you. Um, I'm not actually a huge drinker. I'm saying, making this out like I'm a huge drinker. I'm not a huge drinker at all. I'll drink, like, you know, a couple of vodka sodas a couple of times a week. But those other... <laughs>
3: A, big drink, a couple of vodka
0: sodas a couple of times. That doesn't sound like a big drinker to me. A couple of vodka sodas a couple of times a week. I mean, are you laughing because you think that's lying? It feels like you're judging me. You're like, it's not a couple and it's not a couple of times a week. That's the kind of thing she'd say if it was two bottles of wine seven nights a week. That's a couple of, but I need those. When I want one, I want one, okay? And January is a month. Um, Frankly, a month that can go fuck itself at the best of times, much less with this added dryness on top. Um, So if you've got a drink tonight, well done. Uh, If you're someone who has quit drinking and this has made it much more difficult for you, I'm so sorry, I've just realised that probably wasn't tactful. If you're doing dry January and now you're thinking, fuck it, I'll have a drink in the interval, don't do that, don't do that. This is just comedy. I don't want to railroad your life. You're so close. It's the 26th. You're nearly there. You're nearly there. Keep going, keep going, keep going. I will not help you, but I won't buy you a drink either, okay? Um, so uh, just let me know if you've... Uh, just give me a cheer if you've done anything feminist uh, in the, since January 1st. This is 2023. Anyone done anything feminist in
3: 2023? you <laughs> are thinking it through. You're
0: doing, you're doing that like you, like you went to a feminist rave. You're going... <laughs> I have been asking uh, for a small act of feminism that would intimidate nobody just so other people are reassured and go well I can do better than that do we have a very mini act of feminism? yes, what's yours? I review a lot of letters you review a lot of letters hold on I might just give you the mic because this this (laughs) sounds like it's going to be good I've never had one before that starts with, I review a lot of letters. Normally they start with, I left my husband at home with the children tonight and deliberately didn't tell him where anything was because he should know by now. You know, things like that. And I've turned my phone off, I hope he's having a terrible time. Things like that, people say. Um, But this starts with, I review a lot of letters. And I already don't know what that means and I'm excited to find out.
4: It's it's very small. Um, so I review a lot of letters, and a lot of them start "Dear Sir, Madam," and refer to he, she, and I change it to
0: whom it may concern and remove all gender references. So when when you when you say when you say you review letters, do you mean in your you work for a company where letters are being posted out? Yeah, it's a HMRC, yeah. it's a, oh, HMRC. So to HMRC, oh, oh to HMRC.
3: <laughs> oh two
0: HMRC. Two HMRC. Two. HMRC for our international listeners Uh,
3: the tax authority yes
0: okay so you have to your company sends letters to HMRC and sometimes people say dear sir madam and you say to whom it may concern and just generally feminist up the letters a little bit does anyone know you're doing that because I think that first part to whom it may concern that's fine to make that more feminist The actual content of the letter to HMRC, making it more feminist, like, I'd like to pay double my tax, but only if it goes to the following causes. That could be a cause for alarm in your company. So I was gonna ask your name, I won't now, because I want that to go on. Um, Anyone else done a small act of feminism? Yes? I called out a guy at work that was saying that men should be strong all the time. You called out a guy at work who said men should be strong all the time. It's a man's job to be strong. Yeah, I was very angry. You are very angry, yeah. Uh, where, where do you work? At the NHS. At the NHS. You work for the NHS should be strong all the time because pe- the reason you know, people are flooding to the NHS in some cases is because of the anxiety that uh, we, you know, we take on and particularly men feel like I have to bottle all their feelings up because of patriarchal forces in the history of the world so this is an absolutely terrible thing to be saying. Can I ask what his role was? He was, so no, it's a psychiatric ward It's a psychiatric ward <laughs> Holy McFoley this story has taken a turn. It's a psychiatric ward Forensic psychiatric ward. Holy, holy, holy frick on a stick! (laughs) Bloody hell! Go on. And so, who was he? He was was talking to a work guy who was fixing a light bulb. And he—just to be clear, he's not a patient, because if so, (laughs) I think probably you getting very angry at him isn't helping the problem. No, he works there. Is he a doctor? No, he's a support worker. A support worker who says men should have to be strong the whole time in a psychiatric unit for the NHS. He's also married and likes to flirt. And each time you say, would your wife like that? So every time he flirts with you... So he comes over to you and he's like, hey, baby, I think men should be... Strong. Do you like a strong man? Do you like a strong man? Do you like a strong man? And you say, number one, no, I'll enjoy a vulnerable man who understands what his strengths and weaknesses are and is comfortable in all of his humanity. And two, I've got your wife on speed down now. Back the fuck off. Back the fuck off. Support work on my ass. Oh this is this is excellent work. This is that that's proper feminism there, isn't it? That's 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 uh, that's just doing the Lord's work. Um, has anybody got something that they a feminist project they need help with? Anything they need help with? Anything you're doing, are you doing like a, a project? Uh you got a petition, you got anything you'd like us to help with? You're waving up the back mm-hmm. I a I
2: about the, uh, about Andrew Tate's um, uh, following uh, amongst young boys in schools today, alert your schools about that. Ask your
4: daughters if they hear if they hear from their friends at school that they follow Andrew Tate or someone of the kind.
0: Oh, okay. So you go into schools to talk about Andrew no, Tate? No, I don't. I've, oh, you I've, want I've, to?
4: I've alerted my daughter's school, but I'm saying
2: here to any mothers. Oh,
0: them. to parents yeah. to alert their schools. Whether or not boys are being radicalised in the schools by uh, misogynistic uh, YouTubers. Exactly. Okay. So just in general, parents be aware. It's an awareness programme of see if parents can talk to schools and say, hey, do you know if this is being talked about in the playground? Keep an ear out. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Anyone else got anything they need help with? Yes? What's yours?
2: Uh, so not one for me, but I follow this lady called Jolie Bailey and she is a force of nature and she looks for volunteers for people from the HR family to help women uh, who get discriminated for having children. And she is, one, constantly looking for volunteers, so Jolie Bailey is the name that you look for in search online, and secondly, she is petitioning to the cabinet for a better child subsidized thing and she's got some sort of survey going so all the mums out there please fill it give your angry views
0: great okay so parents give your views and it's jolly belly uh so get involved because it sounds like she is doing some hardcore work in equality thank you so much all right are we ready to start the podcast (laughs) then please welcome stage, my incredible
3: co-pilot
0: for this evening, the one, uh, the only, the you've seen her off the telly, Sarah Keyworth! How y'all doing? Doing okay. Yes. We're doing okay. Yeah. So, uh, Sarah, how are you? Have you had a guilty week or a feminist week? Uh, guilty. Have you? Was, yeah, Probably. Are you just thinking about all the, the things you've done yeah. this
1: week?
4: Yeah, oh, I'm thinking about them. I don't know why I'm flirting with you. I was just... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Would your wife like that? Enjoyable, <laughs> enjoyable. No, I'm delighted. I'm d- absolutely delighted with any and all flirtation that I can get.
4: Uh, I've had a bit of a, a guilty week, I suppose. Uh, I tried to do dry January. My girlfriend and I tried to do dry January. How'd that go? Day 10, she was addicted to cannabis oil oh yeah, yeah that'll happen had to stop that substituting one Start for the drinking other. wine again if I hadn't done it she'd be doing heroin by now I think
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. had to intervene um well I'm delighted to hear that Jai Jonah is going so well Do you, have you given up now or yes completely given up don't worry <laughs> I'm not sober um, there's a few people doing it just give us a cheer if you started doing it and now you're no longer doing it yeah, yeah there's a few people yeah, those are my people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, slurring their woos <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is The Guilty Feminist the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and our hypocrisies and insecurities which
3: <laughs>
0: thank you I'm Deborah Frances White with me is Sarah Keyworth and we are talking about death um, and uh, that doesn't sound like a very cheerful subject um, <laughs> But it is a feminist one, I think. Uh, and we have got an incredible guest. I feel very, very lucky to have her because at the moment she's on all of the television shows. She's going everywhere because she's talking about her book. Um, many of you will be fans of her and fans of her podcast. Her podcast is called Griefcast, and her name is Carrie Lloyd. <clears throat> so we're going to talk about the feminist issue of grieving and also life itself uh, but it will be done in a in a way that's sort of wrap around i don't think it needs a, it doesn't need a trigger warning because carrie's so good at talking about it so wherever you are in the space around grief carrie's just like an expert at talking about it sarah and i aren't experts but we'll do our best trigger warning when i open my mouth i say <laughs> just blanket just a blanket trigger warning <laughs> trigger warning every if, time i open if my sarah mouth sarah gets yeah. the microphone close your eyes
3: and your ears Okay.
0: In that case, are you ready for some startup up comedy? Please welcome to the stage, Sarah Keyworth! Hello, hello. Big, big year. Big year for me this year.
4: Going to break up with my therapist. That's the plan. Because I've realised I've been seeing her for about a year and a half now and I've realised that she knows everybody in my life so well and I've told her almost everything that we're not doing therapy anymore, we're doing gossip. <laughs> And you have to, you have to end it with your therapist when she says the words, oh my God, she did not say that. (laughs) The other day I mentioned somebody that I'd never mentioned before and she wanted an Instagram to see what she looked like. (laughs) It's an absolute nightmare. I'm not very good at therapy, I'm just going to start me watch so I uh, know how much because I could talk to you all night. But um, Therapy doesn't suit me in any way. I think I made a big discovery early on, I'm too northern to have it. In that it's so expensive, and that makes me so angry <laughs> that it negates any of the therapeutic practice I might receive during the process. I'm not even northern; I'm from Nottingham, but I think that's north enough <laughs> to be too northern for therapy. It's so expensive. my therapist, her name's Hazel. She charges me 60 pound an hour, and the conversion rate is too easy on that, isn't it? A pound a minute, that, and I think about that with every passing second. <laughs> She likes to do five minutes of breathing at the top of each session. That is five pounds of breathing. I can't afford that. I can breathe for free at home, Hazel. I need help. There was one day she sneezed. It cost me 25p. One of the reasons I I went to therapy was to talk about my friend Paul. Paul, funniest person I've ever met in my life. Paul, so funny. During the pandemic, I wasn't able to go and see him. Obviously, we were all in lockdown and stuff. So to cheer me up, what he did was he made me a game. And what he did was he sent me this uh, photograph of a really busy beach. within the photograph, he'd photoshopped a a dick pic. (laughs) The game was called Where's (laughs) Willie? and in a move that we both agreed was incredibly on brand, I never found it. <laughs> uh-huh. Genuinely, I couldn't find I rang him up. I was like, I'm completely dick blind. I can't do it. I'm too gay. I said, I found seven vaginas. He was like, didn't put any in there. I was like, I think you find you did. <laughs> And the reason I had to go talk to, uh, to Hazel about Paul is because about this time last year he uh, he passed away. He died. He died in February last year, and it was a shock. It was a big shock. Shouldn't have been a shock because he told me. He did tell me a few months before he passed away. He said, "I think I'm going to die." But he was so funny. I did think he was joking. <laughs> I did, I thought he was kidding. I said, oh, that's a good one, Paul. And he said, well, I'm not kidding about it. And I was like, great stuff, going to put that in my show. And he was like, I'm not joking. And I was like, get, 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 get. I thought it was really good stuff. It was very, very funny. But it was a shock and it was hard. So I've been talking to Hazel about it, been trying to deal with it. And I was talking to her about how it was making me feel. And I was like, this, is, um, this has been really tough and I don't know how to go to work, I don't know how to do my job. Now that I'm grieving like this, it's the first time I've ever had bereavement like this, and I don't know how to do it, I don't know how to go to work. I used to write with Paul, I used to write comedy with Paul, and I don't know how to do that. Now that that person that made my life so joyful, made my job so joyful, isn't here anymore. And she was just like... (sighs) Yeah. That's tough. And it was really with a tone of like, you know, you should speak to somebody about this. (laughs) And then she was just silent for like a pound 10. And it's not just her. I know, it's very hard. She doesn't know what to do. She, I think she's bad at her job, really. Um, <laughs> she doesn't know what to say. And it's hard. It is really hard. My girlfriend found it very hard because she wasn't grieving and she didn't know Paul in the same way. And that dynamic is very difficult. If you're grieving and you're around people that aren't grieving, that's really hard because you can't feel it. When you're in it, you can't feel it if you're not in it, which is a nice thing. But grieving when you're around people that aren't grieving is like being on a night out with all your friends, you've lost your phone, all your mates are on ecstasy, and you're trying to explain to them that you've lost your phone. And they're all just there, like... Oh, no! Oh, well, that sucks! Oh, I love this song! You can't feel it. You can't feel it if you're not in it. It's very hard. And I'd never, I've never known grief like it. Losing a friend, losing a friend at a young, like a young age is a, is a big shock. And I'd, I'd had, I thought I'd experienced grief. I've lost people before. I've, like, you know, I've lost grandparents, things like that. <laughs> grandparents, I'm going to say something. You're not going to agree with it, but I'm going to say it. I think grandparents... Are a bad concept. <laughs> I think they're a bad idea, and I don't know why we do it, to be honest. And you're looking at like me, like you don't, I don't, I don't, okay, I'll explain. My grandmother, I loved her so much, she was amazing. My grandmother, she was 81 when I was born. <laughs> why did they introduce us? Ridiculous thing to do. When I'm a grandparent, I'm going to be fantastic. I'll go once, I'll go on the first day, I'll meet the baby once, I'll walk into the hospital and I'll go bend over, meet the baby once, and I'll say, Don't waste your time loving me. (laughs) And then I'll walk into a fire. Which admittedly might be harder for the baby to deal with in later life. I'm sure there are therapists that are slightly more adept at dealing with the my grandmother passed away peacefully of old age trauma than the my grandmother committed honor suicide on the day of my birth. But I've made my choice and I'm sticking with it. I was pretty lost, I think. I last doing my job was hard. It's very difficult to do my job. Because there was uh, I, I wrote with Paul and it was very difficult to get up on stage. And there was routines of mine that I found it very difficult. I'd get really emotional sort of going through them because it'd be hard to do. And the worst part about that was because he was so funny, it was always my stupidest routines that I would get emotional during. Like shortly after he died, I cried at a gig in Market Harbour because I was doing a routine about the fact that I don't wear white pants because I can't handle the truth. All right, okay, there are two types of people in the world that wear white pants, okay? There are people with abnormal... This is white underwear I'm talking about, white underwear right now. There's people with abnormally clean bums. (laughs) Abnormally clean bums. Or it's people who are so brave they are willing to accept whatever the underwear has to show them at the end of the day. (laughs) And you're all looking at me like I'm completely disgusting, and I'm not disgusting in any way, so don't look at me like that. I'm not saying that. I don't get home at the end of each day and take off my pants and read them like tea leaves. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) I'm not there, like, oh, man, it looks like I'm coming into money. You know? (laughs) So I said, all of that... crying... (laughs) in Market Harbour. And the problem with those jokes is that if you say them whilst crying, it does look like you've shit yourself. <laughs> Thank you very much. Cheers. Please welcome to the microphone Deborah Francis White. <clears throat>
0: So I've already talked about the death of my father on Grief and I'm sure I've talked about it on Here in the Past. So um, the only thing I'll tell you is I went to the doctor and said, can I have some Prozac, because I can't get past this. And the doctor said, uh, you're not meant to feel good. Your father's died. That's why Victorians wore black for you. And I said, rich Victorians did. <laughs> Poor Victorians got back down the miner up the chimney, and I'm one of those. Give me the Prozac. She said, fair enough. <laughs> genuinely a conversation I had about the death of my father Um, but I've already talked about that so um, tonight I've written something uh, specifically for this about my own death it's fine (laughs) it's fine, relax Uh, I imagine my own death three to seven times a week if I cross a road and it's not completely clear I can imagine everything from my nearest and dearest getting the news to my own funeral and how long it would take for my husband to remarry, and how much he'd realise that the second woman was better than me in around 25 seconds. <laughs> I've genuinely got that down. It's just like almost like a flash. You know when they say, you know, you, you, life flashes before your eyes? My death flashes before my eyes. All the time. It happens, I would say, three to seven times a week. Um, if the people around me are having a hard time at the moment, I think about how I can't die and leave them having a difficult time arrogantly assuming my presence is really doing anything at all (laughs) if everyone in my life is doing okay i think more about the me of it all how much they'll miss me not because they need me but because i like to imagine i'll leave a hole the truth is life goes on and people laugh at your funeral like bastards (laughs) have you ever been to a funeral people laugh people eat sandwiches. People eat fucking sandwiches. When I'm dead, people will go to my funeral and say, where are the sandwiches? Like, it absolutely doesn't matter. People who love me dearly, people who call me up and want stuff from me, oh yeah, those same people will be looking for the sandwiches at my funeral. I've done it. I've been to other people's funerals. I've cried. I've loved those people. But at the end of the day, I've eaten the sandwiches. I've in fact complained that there weren't enough sandwiches. Sandwiches have run out. I've complained about a lack of sandwiches. At someone's funeral who I loved. But life has to go on and sandwiches have to go on. This is the the tragic thing about it. Um, People often say, don't wear black at my funeral. I want a celebration of my life. Not me. Please wear black. (laughs) I want it to look like Paris Fashion Week. I want everybody fully in black. I would like people crying. Wailing. I don't want people laughing and have a good time. I don't want it to be a celebration of my life. I want it to be a morning of my death. That's why they call it a funeral. I want some funny speeches, though, to reflect that I was funny. But please laugh through your tears. It will be an open funeral. If you've bothered to come to this show, turn up to my fucking funeral. And when, you know, people like Sarah Keyworth are speaking about me, they'll be funny, of course, because Sarah's funny, she can't, but it's what we want, is a comedian's funeral, all that. Laugh through your tears. I don't just want, like, laughter. I want tragic laughter. I want you to be choked up. <laughs> what I do want, actually, is a guilty feminist memorial show at the London Palladium. I think... I think I'll also have one at the Sydney Opera House and one at Vicar Street in Dublin, because they're my favourite sort of venues, the hotspots. If I've cracked America by then, one in New York, please. Um, I mean, at the moment, it wouldn't be well enough attended, and I wouldn't want that, but... I'm I'm, intending, I'm not intending to die soon, so one of my things is to crack America so I can have a New York memorial show. It's one of my biggest motivators, to be honest, is my memorials. LAUGHTER um, these shows can be funny with minimal tears, um, unlike the funeral. Um, ideally, I will be elderly at this point and close to death, but not actually dead. Um, and this is true. I intend to fake my own death by putting it on Wikipedia and Twitter because that's all people look at. Then there'll be obits, right? Okay, people will believe I'm dead and then I will turn up at all of these memorial shows as a mysterious stranger in a black hat and a veil, alone in a box. Not a coffin, a theatre box at the theatre. I want music and comedy, and finally to realise my dream of a feminist magician who puts a man in a box, cuts him in half, and leaves him there. (laughs) Not a theatre box, a magic box. Uh, The reason I think we get these flashes about our death... Um, is because life is short but is it short I sometimes think it's not really it can be because some people's lives are short but it, it you know I suppose a butterfly thinks its life feels about the right it feels long to a butterfly I think our lives actually well, certainly can be long life can be long um, I don't think life is short so much but I think life is flammable um, when you've seen death it is like a magic trick like, now you see it, now you don't. That person's just gone. And that, that knowledge of having seen death, it makes me appreciate my own warm, beating, under-exercised heart and my moving, friendly, imperfect limbs. And, and it makes me think of the previous inhabitants of London, where I live. Like in the 1920s, people like Tolula Bankhead, Radcliffe Hall, the Bloomsbury set, Virginia Woolf and all her mates, imagining in the 20s, as they must have, that they would be young and the center of action forever and ever and ever, like we do now. Imagining on our good days that aging and death won't happen to us, except in a sort of melodramatic way with like a plane crash and an extra funeral, that sort of thing. We we sort of think of those, but we just don't think of getting old and then it won't be our turn anymore. So I like to remind myself of all the people who've ever lived, and all the people who are yet to live, it's our turn now. We're having a turn. We're young. We're relevant. We're in the conversation. We can change what happens next. So the reason I sometimes like to think about death and grief is because it reminds me of how very alive I am this week, at least so far. (laughs) Thank you very much. What kind of sandwiches? <laughs> well, I mean, I should say vegan, because I'm always trying to be more plant-based. I've just realised that my... I think there's a, there's a sort of chill bit under this dress, which I think was hitched up. Did it look odd? No, uh, no I didn't know. Did I? it? That. No. OK, thank you. No? Um, be honest. Because if I have an open casket, could someone make sure that the skirts were pulled down? Pulled down? Yeah. Pulled down? Yeah. Can we make a note of that? Yeah. Definitely down. You're going with down. <laughs> Can you imagine an Not open what casket I with do. my skirt up over my face? Yeah. Can you imagine. Everyone's talking about it. The absolute horror. Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah with some quick announcements. We have more shows coming up at King's Place on the 17th of March and at Soho Theatre on the 24th, 25th and 27th of March. Get your tickets now by going to guiltyfeminist.com and clicking on live shows. Jessica Regan is back with more big speeches workshops to help you find your voice. These will take place via Zoom and will be on the last Sunday of the month, starting on the 26th of March. The cost is 50 quid, but we have subsidised £10 places available if you can't afford that. Link in the show notes or go to guiltyfeminist.com and click on Big Speeches. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash guiltyfeminist, and from as little as £2.50 a month, you get ad-free episodes, bonus content, and you can be the first to hear about new shows and get special discounts and something that costs you nothing to do is go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five-star review and click follow or subscribe. Also, share an episode you particularly enjoyed with someone either online or tell someone with your face who might like to listen to The Guilty Feminist. And now, back to that very same podcast. Our guest today is a comedian, actress, writer and improviser and author she is the creator and host of the award-winning podcast Griefcast and in her new book You Are Not Alone she provides a roadmap for grief inspired by her own mistakes and lessons and from the profound and witty insights of her incredible guests please welcome to the stage the incredible
3: Carrie <clears throat>
2: hello and welcome hello hello thanks for having me can i just open please I... enjoy a can of water
0: it's a this is a recyclable can of water because we're, we were thirsty and i didn't bring water and i oh, just kept oh.
2: watching you drinking it oh i'm so sorry Shall we all have a little sip now everybody yeah okay <laughs> everyone have a little sip okay. Some people... not of my water <laughs> like of your own drinks <laughs> um Cariad, yes. can yes tell us a little bit about you are not alone I can, but I've got this thing where if something's occurred to me, I have to say it out loud. Do you have this? And when she said Jolie Brearley, the organisation is Pregnant Then Screwed, which is what you should look for. Uh And that's been driving me mad. I wondered if it was that. Pregnant Then Screwed. Because if you search Jolie, she doesn't use her name. Okay,
0: Pregnant Then Screwed. Everyone look up Pregnant Then Screwed on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much. Sorry.
4: Now, anyway. Thank you please. so much for telling us about that. It's really kind of you. I immediately started pretending I wasn't on the
2: stage. <laughs> they'll hear it, they'll know. I'm sorry that I cannot move past it. It's like no. in my head, and I was like, if I don't say it, I won't be able to talk it's good. to you.
0: I should ask you how you are first. How, how you are. Because you've been talking a lot about death lately. <gasps> Is it all right doing that?
2: Yeah, it's, it's hard talking about it every day. And um, I felt like even when you are like, say we're talking about death, there's like. 20% of people are like, oh, great. And then I can't do math, so I'm not going to carry on with percentages. <laughs> the other would be the 18%. other. But like some people are like, oh, interesting. No, no, more than that. So the 20% are like, oh, great, I'm fine with that. 20% are like, I'm neutral, and then what's, what would be left? 60. Uh, 60. Thank you. I'd go with 60. Thank you. 60% like, what? And you can feel this like, oh, God. And so you do feel like slightly like the grief witch coming into town. With <laughs> we, like, do, you, we do call you that behind your back. <laughs> yeah. In Edinburgh, yeah. <laughs> Because you feel like some people are like, great, that's brilliant, I'm really happy to talk about it. And other people are like, oh, God, I don't want, Like, fuck you, I don't want to talk about it. And they, you feel this, like, it's weird. I don't know if you have this with feminism as well. Like, some people just, like, they don't... It's like, well, what, how dare you bring this into the conversation? You're like, I'm not. Human beings did that themselves with the way they evolved mm-hmm. to die. That's not... I didn't make you die. So, yeah, it is hard to constantly bring it up.
0: <laughs> I understand what you mean, because sometimes I feel... Like, I was a comedian and a writer, and then at some point, because I started doing this podcast, I became, like, a professional woman.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: I just made like, a woman for a living. Yeah, I'm a professional griever. People will call me up and go, a woman said something. Could you (laughs) comment on this?
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, well, but are you... Why, who? Why, who? Because a man said something, because if not, go away. Yeah. And they do the same, like, if anyone dies... I get called to talk about how does this country deal with grief? So obviously I was quite busy last year. Because of the Queen? Well, Queenie, yeah, they were suddenly they were like, how, how do we deal with it? And it was really hard not to be like, well, I don't think I can talk about grief unless you, you know, deconstruct what's happening in that situation of having a royal family and why that... Yeah. And they didn't want that answer. They didn't want that. They just wanted us to say, it is hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to she grieve. Was so hard. She was so young. She was so young. It's always when, when they're young, it, it hits more, doesn't it? I yeah. like the precedent, though, of people queuing
0: to see the coffin because I should have actually added that into the piece that I yes, wrote Yes, yes, yes. Do you think yes. there could be at the London Palladium? <laughs> <laughs> A, a casket on the stage oh. and people queue up to see it Yeah, open casket skirt <laughs> on the head <laughs> the trouble well, it, it will have to be closed because I'm over. not really dead in this scenario I, wanna, oh, yeah. I definitely want to go to my own funeral can I play the corpse can I play the corpse <laughs> oh, if, well then, then the skirt will have to be over your face I'm okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll
2: do it, I'll flip it over. Can you imagine, Sarah, you in this prom dress? That's not Deborah's vagina. (laughs) (laughs) And then we'll have a visible bit of string, we'll just pull it back down again. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, Um, it is hard talking about it. Do other people... I just
0: assumed when I wrote that that other people often thought about their own death or had like moments, you're on a plane and you think, oh, what if I die now? And I'm not a frightened flyer at all, but sometimes you get a bit of turbulence and you just go, oh...
2: What will happen now? What will it be like See, if I See, I, I worry because I have exactly the same thing, but I don't know if we're a good group. <laughs> As in, like, what do they call it? Case study. Because I feel exactly the same, but I talk about death all the time, so... Right, OK. You know. Yeah, yeah you're not, you're not normal. It, you've picked the wrong team. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do audience, do you ever have this feeling, this flashes? Of... Yeah, some are nodding, some are shaking their head. I think it's some... pretty 50-50, probably. Some people just aren't willing to face it. <laughs> some people are running away from life. Um... I think about it all the time, but I did even before the grief cast. But then I, my dad died when I was 15, and what quite happens quite a lot, if you lose a parent or someone significant as a teenager, you develop death anxiety. Right. Because you lost someone very important. So then, and my therapist said it to me once, she was like, you know, you've got this thing called death anxiety, Not everyone, not everyone is going to die. And I was like, yeah, but someone did <laughs> like in terms of evidence based also living. everyone's going to die yeah yeah, everyone is but she meant the like, all, like every day she was like not everyone's going to die like all the time oh worry I see you always that worry about untimely death yeah I'm just well if anybody, call, if anybody calls me I think well someone's died like they're telling me someone's died that's why they're ringing like that would be my instant thought if anybody rang who's died I'm not alone, uh, there's a few, you are not alone, guys, don't make me feel alone, uh, the book's I, called... I, I definitely uh, do that, I do that yeah. a bit, I think... Uh, and if I'm crossing a road, definitely, I always think, car's going to hit me. The uh, irony, uh, if it does, after the show, that'll be... Uh, mm. Oh, this would I get I so get many letters, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Her last public appearance, would <laughs> <laughs> yeah. be great um, for us, wouldn't it, our career? You could put it out as a <laughs> memorial episode. Yeah. I'm really worried that
0: two people have left. If anybody is finding this hard and you want to leave and you want to get your money back, I will absolutely guarantee your money back because if you thought you didn't come here tonight, you're worried about it. I was feeling like the way we were going to talk about it wouldn't trigger anybody, but it might be. So if you need to go, no one will judge you for leaving. No, no. If it's you're, not, it not, genuinely not at is all. Not no, no. And you can absolutely... I'll give your ticket price back and give you tickets for another show. So if you... If you A uh, cheery
2: one. I won't be there, I promise. <laughs> I promise I won't be there. Do you, do you want to go? Okay. Oh okay, not related right. to us talking about. Not it's not related. Oh okay. To it. okay, okay. Oh okay. They had to go. <laughs> okay, they just okay. They just <laughs> didn't think it was funny. Okay, that's okay. fine. <laughs> it was not anything to do with the death. They were just nah, no, not oh, funny. Oh, okay. Okay, they just hated it. Okay. <laughs> they
3: had, they had <laughs> one some...
2: star. It was a 1 star. It wasn't a 3 star. It was just no, a, no. One, a 1 star. No. Oh, god, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's also
4: worth saying, if anybody wants to openly weep during this whole thing, then please just yeah, have it yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well,
0: that's I, the uh, other thing. That's what you're so good at, is yes. letting people feel grief. Yes. Could you please tell us about... <laughs> The stages of grieving. Like, you know when people say there's five stages of grieving? <laughs> Can you tell us? Because
2: I've heard you <clears throat> say that this it's should be bullshit. debunked. Yeah. Yeah. Can you please debunk it for us? Okay, so the five stages of grief makes me very angry. But if it has worked for you, congratulations, that's brilliant. Is anger not one of the stages, though? <laughs> yeah. And I, and I did say that in the book. In the book, I talk about it, and it's like... Uh, Carrie obviously hasn't moved on from the five stages so if if you don't know about the five stages or you've roughly heard of it it's the idea that when a death happens you go through five distinct emotions and at the end you reach a place of acceptance where you don't feel grief anymore so you go through and I always get this wrong so it's um, denial no yeah anger denial Depression, bargaining, acceptance. Some of that's probably in the wrong order. Um, And then at the end, you reach acceptance of your grief. And this is kind of really, like, culturally embedded. Most people know it. If you're not in the club, as we say on the Grief Cast, often people come up to you and go, oh, well, look, you'll go through the five stages and it'll be okay. Which is, like, just as a tip, never, ever, 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 you know, Batman slapping Robin, don't ever fucking say that to someone uh, if they're grieving because it's unhelpful. The reason is it was written by an amazing woman, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, an absolutely fantastic woman. She was one of the founders of the hospice movement. She was working with children who were suffering from AIDS in the 80s before anyone was willing to do that work. So she's an amazing woman. In 1969, she writes a book called On Death and Dying where she posits this theory Now, this theory comes from her work working in hospitals where people are dying of cancer, terminal illnesses. So, as we know, that's not the only way to die. She's working predominantly with cancer patients. And she says, if you tell a cancer patient that they're going to die, which they weren't at the time, they were just not telling people. They were like, you've got a malignancy. And then they'd give you some medication say, it's going to help, you'll be better. And then and you'd die. And this is a
0: real feminist issue as well, yes. isn't it? Because you watch something like Mad Men and you see yeah. that they would tell the
2: husband. Husband. Really and they would not yeah. tell the, wife. the woman. Yeah, yeah. So, so the woman would be getting treatment. And she wouldn't even know where the cancer was because they didn't tell you that. They didn't think it was interesting. So they'd just say, you've got malignancy. And they'd say to the husband, she's going to die in two weeks. Don't tell her. It will upset her. So then she would be there going, oh, well, hopefully I'll be out in two weeks. They've said I'm going to get better. And everyone would be like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like actual gaslighting. So she was working in hospitals where that was happening, clearly not great. So she said, if you tell a cancer patient, someone who's dying of a terminal illness, that they are dying, they will go through five distinct stages before they reach an acceptance of their death. So it was never, (laughs) it was never, ever, ever about grieving. It was about dying. And the reason it makes sense for dying is if you're dying, you're about to hit a full stop. You're about to die. So you can accept, okay, you you might not, but you can reach a place of... Right, I'm going to die, so I'm going to tell you, say these things to my family, tell people I love them, apologise for things, tell people where the money is buried, all those sort of things. And I suppose but, if you don't, then
4: you just die and you're kind of in it, aren't you? Yeah, yeah.
2: But if you're grieving, you can't reach acceptance where you don't feel anything because you're living, you're right. having to live with grief. So she never, she never said that. She wrote a book which was talking about, and the subtitle of the book is On Death and Dying, How Medical Professions, Vicars, and Clergy Can Help People Deal With Their Death. Right. like something so it's okay. your own death that's yes, that completely can, about that yeah in a specific context that you can go through
0: those stages
2: and that you are not obviously being hit by a car that you are suffering from an illness and you have time to be told that and the doctors have time to work with you and accept that so she, that's what she was saying would they be the case if i don't know somebody was faking their death <laughs> not naming names <clears throat> yes if that was to happen mm. <laughs> sure They might go through five distinct stages and then they would reach the acceptance the dress had to be over their face (laughs) for it to be really funny. But the acceptance piece doesn't work
0: with grieving. No. Specifically because you may never be able to accept the death of your mother, for example, or your child. Yeah. So
2: you don't have to get to acceptance. No, acceptance is... And to be honest, after interviewing nearly 200 people on the grief cast, I have met one person at a time who was like, I'm absolutely fine, I've accepted it. Everybody else said, It still makes me sad, my life has grown around it, I've learned to deal with it, I've learned to carry it. But if you said to me, Are you sad that happened? Yeah, I am, I am still sad. And that's what I think with grief, you have to reframe it because what we usually ask, what we want of people normally is to be like, we want you to get over that grief because mm. it's sad and you're sad. What we don't say is, oh, I'm going to help you learn to live with it because you will always be sad that your friend isn't here, that your dad isn't here, like that will always be something that's painful. So let me help you build a life and give you positive experiences that cheer you up, or let me be there when you're crying and not try and stop the tears. Like that's the way to help someone rather than going. <sighs> two years still talking about it
3: Mm. when
2: you're going to reach acceptance because then it makes it feel like you can do grief wrong like there's an exam and you're failing it Mm. and so then the person grieving feels terrible and they feel terrible because someone's dead Mm -hmm. so it's like (laughs) just it's just such an unhelpful theory
0: what else should we know what is what is there anything that you've discovered that that all of your interviewees have in common or many of them have like what 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 can we expect in the book? (laughs) How can we? Will it be comforting?
2: Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, because I also get sent a lot of grief books. And there's some amazing grief books out there, but there's a lot of kind of. Books that when they land on your desk, you think, oh, I don't want to read that. (laughs) Oh, that looks sad. So I have tried to write a book that genuinely, whether you're in the club or not, you can pick up without thinking, oh, God, like, I don't want to think about it today. It's very practical. And I said, it's like a map in that I showed you what grief looks like, but I haven't told you how to, you know, what way you need to go. That's completely personal and unique to your grief. But I have said, well, me... And all these other people on the show, this is what they found. But the, the biggest takeaway genuinely is five stages is bullshit. It's <laughs> just, like, let that go. And that there is no right way to grieve. Like, what, whatever you're doing, it, if it's helping you, then that's that's fine. As long as it's not, obviously, damaging to you in some way. And to just to say, because I think when I... When I sort of kick the five stages out, it's a bit depressing. Like, oh well, then what then? There's this amazing theory called dual process model. Yeah. Don't you heard of? By Strober and Schut, who are these amazing modern grief psychotherapists? Basically, no one thinks five stages anymore. So it's not just me. (laughs) Just in case you think it's just a comedian improviser from North London that's like, that's bullshit. So the dual process model is the idea that when you're grieving, you have two states. You've got the grief, which is like proper snot, crying. You're making that noise that sounds like a goose. You don't know who it is. It's you. I like was very mess. surprised when
0: my dad died that I... Because I'd watched Moulin Rouge on the plane on the way over. It's an old, it was an old movie at the time, but I, wa- I watched it because it was playing and, <coughs> yeah. and just sort of something to distract me. And I was like really like hysterical on the plane. Um, but I was just like... you know watching this movie and uh i was like i thought i remember thinking the way that ewan mcgregor cries in that is over the top (laughs) and then when my dad actually died because i had to fly to australia and i didn't know if he was still going to be alive when i landed and he was thankfully he sort of held on the way sometimes people can and when he actually died i remember sort of sliding down the wall in the hallway of this hospital and doing the Ewan and McGregor crying from <laughs> an Rouge. I remember thinking, oh, he's not overacting. No, this is what happens. Maybe yeah, like, yeah, that's, that's, that's
2: Ewan McGreg- McGregor's entire life. People experiencing, going, he wasn't overacting. Like, he wasn't overacting. Yeah, was Give him an award. At the time, I would see. No, he's good. Actually, he is good.
0: <laughs> Retrospectively, when your dad dies, you'll finally realise he's good at acting. <laughs> yeah. I also understood Hamlet for the first time. Oh, really? Because, yeah, yeah. you do go mad. You yeah. do. Like, you do lose it. You do start, oh, totally. to, you know, and you I can, say, not you yes. do. I hate it when people say you do because it, people have different experiences.
2: One can. Yeah, I, can. I did. I think as well, when, when you're grieving, Hamlet. like I think knees don't work. Like when you, that's what I found, like you're standing and then you're on the floor and you're like, what did, yeah, yeah, need, what yeah, did my yeah. knees do? Something They're just not the reliable. Don't rely on your knees if you're grieving. Yeah. I've
0: got this theory because we went back to my brother's house that night and we stayed up, my brother and sister and I, my mum ended up going to bed and my brother and sister and I just sat on the kitchen floor drinking and t- telling old stories. of I was so surprised how much we laughed. But we sat on the kitchen floor. I have since noticed that in Sit grief yeah. or, or even a The grief of a really intense breakup—you always end up sitting on the kitchen floor, and I think it's something to do with needing to be rooted to the earth. Yeah, yeah. And the kitchen being that hearth and home place. Yeah, it's—it happens a lot. The kitchen floor is a sort of friend
2: in grief. Yeah, yeah, I spent a lot of time on the kitchen floor watching The Washing Machine as a teenager. Yeah, because it was like better than telly because you didn't even have to concentrate, but it was moving. (laughs) So like in pure grief, and I used to just boil eggs. This is so depressing. It's just a an egg and then just watch The Washing Machine go round and round. And that was for me, like, that was like my heroin hit. It was like, oh, so good. Gen Z, this is the kind of thing we did before (laughs) doom scrolling was available to us. I know. That I'm is not what doing. doom scrolling it yeah. is.
0: It's, it's, m- watching it's mesmerizing, go round, it's hypnotising yourself. Eighties yeah. doom scrolling. Yeah.
2: Eighties doom scrolling is watching the washing machine. Less less interesting articles to distract you, I'll admit, just the washing. In a way it's more focused. <laughs> In a way. Um Sorry so the first stage oh yeah sorry the, the real thing, crying the one, so, you and mcgregor so not a stage that's just one of the states so not stage not a stage state so you have to get through it, is proper proper griefy crying and then the other state you have is called restoration and that's when you go out and you might forget about it or you have a drink with friends and you have that moment you think oh my god i i'm not Feeling sad. Oh, I feel so bad. Oh, yeah. oh God, I'm, I'm dishonouring them. And actually, this, this is the theory that to grieve someone, to go through grief, you have to oscillate between the two states. Mm. So you can't stay weeping all the time because you might like need the loo. You know what I mean? Like Your body just goes, enough, I can't do this. Where are the sandwiches? Where are the They've sandwiches? They've run out of sandwiches. <laughs> exactly. And you can't stay just in party time too much because that's also that's
4: misinformation, good. though, because I know firsthand you can weep on the loo.
2: Yes, yes, that's true actually.
4: And weep into a sandwich. And
0: weep into a sandwich. There are people who say, I can't, oh, well, I can't, I couldn't eat. I'm like, I don't relate
2: to that at all. I <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 more,
0: more. I'll eat, I'll eat <laughs> you more. You go rivalry. either way,
2: I think. You go either way. But yeah, you should oscillate between these two states. You should not, should. It, that's what most people tend to do. And the reason I think that's really important to say is very helpful because then people who. People tend to lose the guilt they felt for going out or having a drink or having a good time. and Being like, when you're doing the things where you're sort of not thinking about it, your brain is processing. Your brain at the back of your brain is going, they're dead, they're not here, I'm not going to see them. But you can't constantly stare at that because you, your brain just needs a break. And that, to me, is such a more generous, kind-hearted, compassionate view of grief of like, you're going to feel like this, you're going to keep oscillating and as grief goes on so I'm 20 plus years for my dad dying which is not good at maths it's not like I'm trying to be coy about my age I just genuinely can't remember how many years it is and what happens is you oscillate the oscillations um, are less so the first year or you're like every five minutes you're crying then you're laughing you're crying and I would say 20 plus year, years in I might have a griefy moment like every couple of years now like you will kind of oh come up and hit me but that's what happens, you just learn, you oscillate less between them. But it's absolutely fine to have moments where you're not thinking about it and you're just getting on with your life. That is how you build your life around the grief. Because if you don't go to the place where you're making new memories and having that stuff, you're just, you're just in grief and that's very painful. So equally, you don't want to go, you know, moderation in all things don't do dry January. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so if you're grieving, don't do dry January. <laughs> no, that's maybe a, you should actually. Maybe, advice, yeah. maybe that's a good... I don't... Yes, yeah, that's not official advice from the guilty feminist or carry Adler. No, 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 please. please. Uh, but yeah, I know what you mean. It's... <clears throat> yeah. So that's really helpful, Kariad, that it's between these two stages because I remember feeling so guilty. Yes, yeah, the guilt. Yeah. That if I wasn't mourning all the time. Yeah. And I'd find myself with friends having a laugh, and then I'd be like, well, my dad's not here to yeah. see it and he's not I mean I lived on the other side of the world anyway I know but these shocks that you got I remember thinking who am I doing it for now yeah well he didn't really understand what I did to be (laughs) honest with you but I felt like it was such a shock to me that my whole life was me doing a drawing and going daddy do you like it yeah I had no idea I thought oh I'm so far away and I'm building my own life and blah 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 blah. but it turns out no all I'm doing is drawing pictures for my parents hoping they'll be proud of one of them (laughs) and it's that was such a shock to me yeah no idea so things like that so I think prepare to be shocked and surprised oh, by your reactions definitely. and all of the depth of your yeah.
2: feelings coming to the surface and I say That's to people all the time like this idea of what we think grief looks like is Victorian it's completely Victorian and that it's inherited in the same way that the reason we have Christmas trees is completely their fault we didn't have them before Victorians they thought it was a good idea the Germans came with them and said this is what we do and we're grieving the idea of the timeline the way to be respectful the kind of mourning what mourning should look like dabbing your eyes and not snotting everywhere, not shouting or being angry. There's a complete Victorian inheritance. That is not what grief looks like. As we all know, grief doesn't look like that. You can be in shock, you can be angry, you don't want to talk about it, you do want to talk about it to everybody you meet. Like, there isn't... We've inherited this such a... Like, a heavy weight we've inherited of, like, oh, that's what I should do, and so if I don't, I feel bad.
0: On a feminist uh, point there... Yes. Women have gone to jail because they were accused of killing somebody very close to them because they weren't mourning yeah. in an appropriate way so you know some horrifying thing had happened like their own child had died and they were in complete shock and they were unable to perform emotions in the way or that they want, were expected yeah, the way they to. think a woman should be and they so they were like well it's obviously you've killed yeah. the child and it's like no and now they've been locked up and can you imagine being in mourning for your own child? Oh. It's just terrible things like that. So, you, you know, I think that is such an important point that we've been schooled culturally. Yeah. When we hear about how other cultures mourn, sometimes those things seem odd to us. But we also culturally mourn, and we don't think that's the case because it's our culture, so it looks normal to us in yeah. quote commas, but it is, there's no normal.
2: There's only what you feel and what happens to you. Yeah, and we're so f- fucked up, for want of a better word. Like, you inherit the Victorians and you have two world wars where so many people die, people can't, can't physically talk about it. I should just say one thing. I researched the Georgians because I was like, well, why were the Victorians so uptight? And the reason is the Georgians were so fucking messy. So the Georgians were just awful. Like, they were just literally... They, they weren't enough places to bury people, so they just added more earth to churchyards, which is why sometimes it looks like, like a churchyard comes up to high on a window because right. the Georgians were like just put more on just put more on don't worry about it they're and so they're stacking them high they're stacking them up they did Lego. Care. there was disease everywhere mm. women were encouraged not to come to the funeral because they may get too emotional so normally a woman if you were going to a funeral you would be on a hillock away from it and the men oh, would carry it down. and you'd have to sort of like oh. you wouldn't get any sandwiches from there at all you'd get no sandwiches imagine those they probably bought their own didn't they all the women must have known look we're not going to bring, yeah. bring your own sandwiches yeah. bring your own booze bring your own sandwiches because the. <laughs> um, you imagine. but the Georgians were all like honestly like kept just absolute chaos and they used to have coffins with like a you know the bottom dropped out so you just like drop them in get it out get them round wrap them in a shroud. don't care put a bit of herbs on them stop them smelling so that's why the Victorians then were like right we have to sort this out this is awful because they were industrializing everything and making big cities mm. and so they tidied it up but they tidied it up to this point of like they then not only did they make graveyards really neat and tidy they were like and emotions and if you were a victorian if you were in mourning yeah. and then you met someone and you decided to marry them in your period of mourning which you know might have happened you might needed someone to provide for you you were allowed one day off so you could put your wedding dress on and then the next day even with your new husband you had to get back in your morning dress wow imagine how depressing that would be to marry someone who's <laughs> Like sorry, just got to put the black dress on because obviously I'm still. So you're on your honeymoon. You have yeah, you're back in morning. Yeah, because for a period of time. Yeah, because you're you're still in your first year of morning. So it's like sorry, babes. A year, a full year. Oh, and then then there was half morning, quarter morning. Like you, you 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 were what? you were half black. No, you were allowed grey or purple. Oh, yeah. purple. So you actually are full cough, with a touch of half. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. black for the first year, I think, and then the next six months it was like grey, and then after that, purple was considered a colour you allowed. Like, it, it was mad, like... I mean, to be fair, black is my colour. Oh yeah, and you'd be if fine. If
0: you weren't in mourning, you couldn't wear black. It's Chanel who yeah, wore yeah. the black dress that, that was because she was raised in a convent by nuns, and she thought it yeah. was very chic that they wore black and white. <laughs> That's a true story. Um, it so she funny. invented the little black dress. Yeah. Thank God, bless that Nazi. <laughs>
2: um, you know, she knew chic when she saw it.
0: Yeah, she, she was a bit of a Nazi, though. Yeah, uh, she was. I am um, uh, obviously again. That was a joke. Don't write in. That was a joke for comedy. Now. Um, <laughs> Carriad, I am so excited to read your book because I feel like it, it, you're very funny you're very warm you're very whole about these things and you're very used to talking about it so I'm really looking forward to it because I know it will be very human and everybody at some point will experience grief and Sadly, so yes. it's something that it's I think it'll be really useful can we pre-order it now can we order it order it's already it. out it's already we'll out buy so it now Do the buy it now order it now I highly recommend anything by Carriad, uh, but I'm very, very excited about this book. I also recommend Rob Delaney's book. Oh, yes. Oh, God, he's yes. such a brilliant, funny man. But yeah. his book, I was sobbing. Sobbing. But it's so good. It's like one of those things that it's not bleak. It's, yeah. it's, it's about the death of his small son, and it's amongst other things, and it's incredible. Um, and I really recommend that one as well. If you're listening at home and thinking, you want to get Carriad's book, it'll probably be offered... Um, online with, I bet you anything, your books are off With work, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we'll oh, yeah. Would and... you like to cry?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, the crying bundle. Are you struggling to cry? <laughs> Do you have no emotions? Read these, you'll be fine. A big round of applause for the incredible Carrie Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you.
0: been listening to the guilty feminist with me deborah francis white guest co-host sarah keyworth and our very special guest carrie ed lloyd the recording engineer was chris sharp the guilty feminist theme tune was composed by mark hodge the producer was tom solinsky for the spontaneity shop thanks to rachel craftman gina dco zainab mohammed and everyone at king's place as well as all of you for listening for more information about this and other episodes visit guiltyfeminist.com Okay, so if you're new to this show, because there were more people, new people than usual, um, this is a podcast, it's about feminism, but it's about how we don't need to be perfect in order to be a force for meaningful change. Uh, There's comedy, and then usually we change gears a bit and have a conversation that, while not unfunny, you know, we can go to places. So if you've never heard this before, that's what it is. But we always start with a game called I'm a Feminist Butt, which is like a sort of, um, if you, any Catholics in, people from Catholic up- upbringings, just give us a cheer if you're Catholic. For, interestingly, people didn't cheer, they put their hands up. Is that a Catholic thing to put your hands up? Because if you're in church, you don't like to make a disturbance. Um, just give us a cheer if you've ever been to confessional.: Yep, it's like that, only we're confessing to unfeminist things rather than <laughs> un catholic things. And some of those things sometimes a feminist thing is an un-catholic thing, I would say, I would suggest. Right. Yeah. yeah. Can do you answer. Um, well, I mean, you know, honour your father and your mother. That's the, you know, I was raised in a very strange religion. <laughs> I'm not saying Catholicism is strange. <laughs> I should stop talking. Yeah. Now, <laughs> um, OK, so this is one of my... The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card.